we have heard that a half a million children have died. I mean, that's more children than died when, when, in Hiroshima. And, and, you know, is the price worth it? I think this is a very hard choice, but the price, we think the price is worth it. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you to the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. This is your host, Mance Rader. This is episode 77. It's going up on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, eBooks, YouTube, on my website, freemanbeyondthewall.com, and I'm going to put it up on DTube. I want to remind you about my book, Freedom Through Memedom, The 31-Day Guide to Waking Up to Liberty. Checked Amazon this morning. It was number five in the libertarian section. So check it out. Search Mance Raider. And it'll be the first thing that comes up. Today, I am sharing an interview that I did with Patrick McFarlane. Patrick McFarlane is the host of the Liberty Weekly podcast. I've been on that podcast a couple times, and I thought that I would have Patrick on so that I can ask him some questions. Patrick is also finishing his last semester of law school. So we talk about his plans, talk about his plans after he finishes law school, what he's going to do with his degree. And we talk about the future of the Liberty Weekly podcast. So let's go to it. Here's Patrick. So how you doing, Patrick? Pretty good, man. How about you? I'm doing good. Doing good. I wanted to have you on. I've been on your show, Liberty Weekly, twice. And I thank you for that. I thank you for, as we're recording this, you have <laughs> quite literally just uploaded um, a recent podcast that you did where you interviewed me to YouTube. And as you were calling me so that we could do this, I was just firing off a tweet, you know, announcing that on uh, on Twitter. So thought that I would have you on my podcast so we can talk about Liberty Weekly and talk a little bit about yourself. So I guess I want to start off asking about Liberty Weekly and ask what was the genesis of it? What was the what was the idea you had when you started it? Yeah, so the the general idea of the show, I started it through the Tom Woods blogging group uh, deal that he offers, where he'll give you some free publicity if you uh, go through his hosting link, and uh, that worked really well. I got what's called the Tom Woods bump. I don't know if you got your hosting through him, but uh, that's kind of how it got off the ground. I started listening to his show, I think, the summer after my 1L year in law school, and I had a data entry job, so I was just sitting there doing the same mundane task, tracking alums and all that stuff. So I started listening because I was into libertarianism. I had heard of Stefan Molyneux and stuff, but that was when I really start started to um, consume podcasts and stuff. And it's just been a whole awesome new world that I've discovered of the community, you know, libertarianism in general. And um, I just I got into it. I was in my evangelical phase where I'm just proselytizing all the time to my friends, my family, my poor wife, whom I talk about all the time, <laughs> whom, yeah, she's great. And uh, she puts up with me. But um, I started the show just to be an outlet for that, hopefully to spare my friends and family. Uh, did you ever have an evangelical phase? <laughs> uh you mean of throwing throwing up libertarianism all over my friends and family? Yeah, <laughs> it lasted about two minutes. Did it? Yeah, yeah, my my dad my dad passed away a few months ago, but um, my dad was a a Baptist preacher, and he had bought into the whole that in order to be a good evangelical in the United States, you had to be uber right wing. And I, 
even as somebody who, you know, at one time did go to church and consider, you know, and, and considered myself to be a, you know, a very devout Christian, I never, I never felt that. I always felt that the state was the enemy. You know, there, there are various, um, various verses in the Bible that refer to Satan being the god of the world. You know, he offers Jesus, you know, pick a kingdom. They're all mine. I'll give them to you. Um, so, yeah, that's the kind of background that I came from. And really, you know, I talked to my dad for, about libertarianism for five minutes, and it just, uh, it, 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 it didn't work out well. So, you know, like any good libertarian, I retreated to my, um, I retreated to my parents' basement with my Mountain Dew and my fedora, and I started reading, uh, reading Rothbard and studying, you know, st- studying the things that needed to be studied. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. it, it, that's who, that's who we are, right? We're Mountain Dew. Um, we, we live in our parents' basement. We drink Mountain Dew and we uh, wear fedoras. Isn't uh, isn't that what you do? I think, yeah. I mean, that's all I do, man. <laughs> yeah. I have like a bunch of airsoft guns that I paint to look real and everything, you know. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. So, but okay. So then you started. Like, what was your what was it like doing your first episode? Oh, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. Same, um, same here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so luckily enough, out of serendipity, I still had the equipment because I was like, uh, I've always been into like heavy metal and extreme metal, but I went through a hipster phase in high school in junior year, and I was like a singer-songwriter. I played acoustic guitar at the coffee shop, oh, and shit. I was really into home recording, so I had bought this mixer. And I used it a couple times, and then it just sat collecting dust. Well, when I started the podcast again, I have this awesome mixer, <laughs> so I've just been using it. Oh man, that's really it's really cool that you had some. I had to, I ba- I basically had to buy buy some stuff, but not a lot. You know, I mean, pretty much nowadays, if you um, you can use a you can use a laptop, you can use a good laptop, and um, there's free software out there like Audacity that. Um, I mean, we could turn this with. You know, Let's also make this into. I want. I want to see a million libertarian podcasts. So let's tell people how we. It's really not that hard, right? Hell yeah! I mean, that's what I want to hear. That's um. You know, that's what I want to see. I just. Uh, you can get off the ground with a forty dollar microphone and a laptop. I mean, that's really all it takes, and just a little know how. Uh, you know, Tom. Tom has a pretty good guide when it comes to starting your own podcast and gives great advice. But I mean, just to just for everyone to get out there and have these conversations, you know, and throughout everything that I've been doing, I've been experimenting a lot with my formats lately. I've been doing a lot of YouTube stuff, a lot of uh, face-on videos. I did a few documentaries. One was about how the U.S. Army manipulates soldiers into taking human life through conditioning, hmm. and uh, there was another one I did. Uh, book review about uh, the shadow go- or um, what was it? A government of wolves by John W. Whitehead, and I talked about all the facets of the emerging police state that are kind of uh, we're sleeping sleepwalking into that are being constructed around us while we're not paying attention. And even you know we're buying our own wiretaps with the if you want to get into the Amazon Alexa thing. And uh, I just don't think I'm I'm concerned for the world, and I don't think that Orwell would have thought Huxley would have, but I don't think Orwell would have thought that we would be purchasing our own surveillance equipment. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't think so either. I, I've actually, I mean, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I don't have an Alexa because to me it just, it seems lazy. Um, 
you know, and the whole spying thing, they're going to fucking do it anyway. They're, I, I, oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're going to figure out a way to do it. I mean, probably through TV. I mean, I'm way too into electronics and my toys to be even worry about this. Look, man, if you, you know, if they want to see me sitting in my underwear in front of the TV, come on, look, I do not care. If you want to hear what I'm talking about, I'm talking about you guys. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm talking about you guys. I don't care, you know, if you know about it. I mean, you, you know, I use a fake name, okay? I'm sure that on Twitter, they, they, they can find out my name. I'm, I, I, if they want to know who I am, they know who I am. I mean, there's no, there's no way of hiding it. They could find, shoot, they could find it. I published a book through Amazon. In order to do it, I had to use my real name. They could just go to Amazon, since Jeff Bezos is such a, you know, you know, such a good friend of the CIA, and 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 I assume the FBI too. They can get they can get all that information. I mean, come on, it's like it, it, it's gotten to the point now where when it comes to privacy, I just don't come in the you know don't come in the house, don't come in my space. I yeah. know you can probably hear. I mean, they can park a car outside in here. I'm not going to turn my friggin' house into a Faraday cage. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so I, I'm <laughs> I'm pretty much I'm pretty much resigned to that. But, you know, I mean, still, just, leave, you know, leave my person, leave my person alone. I mean, yeah. you know, leave my person, my property alone. Well, um, I, I totally get that. I just, um, that doesn't make it right, you know? No, I, it doesn't. I, yeah, I fear, for, I fear for the day, and I'm sure you agree with me, but I fear for the day, and I think this day is coming when Americans will fear to whisper even in their own homes for uh, fear of getting, you know, a midnight visit from some special squad or something. And I think that's coming uh, I mean, if that's kind of conspiratorial and aside from what I do, but I really do worry about that. And I see the Fourth Amendment being eviscerated, you know, and we, we touched on this a little bit in our interview yesterday. Well, um, Thaddeus Russell talks about how every war in American history, especially since uh, World War Two, has been planned on college campuses. He says they're college professors who are sitting there. You got to go and listen to some of his podcasts. I mean, the guy's the guy's phenomenal. He talks about how these they're they're all planned on college campuses. They're think tanks that come up with these things, and it's all spilling off of college campuses. I mean, think of it. You just talked about you know whispering. Well, isn't that what a a conservative or a libertarian does on college campus? They have to go hide in the, if they want to talk about something that isn't in the, you know, that that's going to trigger somebody or that's going to cause somebody to go running for their safe space. They have to whisper in the shadows. They have to be almost, um, I mean, I've heard people say, you know, I think I heard Tom Wood say, you know, if you're going to be on college campus, just put your head down, just put your head down and study and don't, you know, really don't give an opinion at this point. I mean, they, I mean, they, they will not, they will not only look to destroy your academic career, they will look to destroy you personally. Yeah, and it's and that's coming, and that and and the the worst, you know, if 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 all these wars are being planned on college campuses and then you know brought to the Pentagon and all that, I mean, look at what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I work for I work for a huge corporation, and I have to do this stupid, you know, sexual harassment video and everything like that. And I mean, and that's straight off of college campuses. Those, I mean, it, it's it's based. When you watch the video, you're just like, "Oh, this is this just sounds like SJW talk on a college campus," and that's infest. It's fest. It's infested HR in major corporations, and it's infested the boardrooms. 
And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's I mean, it's coming. You know, you, you talk about how it's conspiratorial that, you know, you don't want to you, you want to be careful what you say. Well, there's already a whole segment of society where you can't say what you want. And it's called the college campus. Yeah. Well, my sister had diversity training. She's an undergrad pre-med and she had diversity training for credits. I think it was mandatory. Like, I don't know if it was a two or three credit class or something. Could you imagine that? Jesus, that's what's two hours. That's two hours a week, three hours a week. Yeah. Oh, no. I, if I remember incorrectly. I hate the I, school as it was. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, if we could get into that too, I mean, just the, maybe it's just because of the point in time I am at my life, but I'm so sick and tired of school. And, and I think the whole system is just, and I, I don't want to get into specifically like the ABA requirements and stuff because I'm, I'm going to be applying to the ABA pretty soon, but, I, you can see every element in within the law profession, the cartelization of it to the point of all we're do, trying to do is protect the profession. And, you know, Milton Friedman, although not a perfect libertarian uh, monetarist, he is really great on occupational licensure. And you can really see it in the legal field. I uh, just seeing it at, a, at work, you know, and what, one thing I try and talk, drop things to uh, my fellow law students saying like, well, you know, you don't have to have someone with a JD to do an arraignment hearing. You know how many people could be better represented by someone who just did arraignment hearings? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I really think that that's, you know, we know as libertarians that you don't have to have a JD to be a good attorney. No, there's, there, there are people out there who are caught without, um, without law licenses, without bar cards, being attorneys, and they have, like, perfect records. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, I was going to say, um, you're, the profession you're going into is something that I've referred to in the past as the holy trinity of injustice, and that's judges, that's... judges lawyers, and cops. And, yeah. And, and I, was actually, um, I was actually challenged on that once. Well, judges are lawyers, and I'm like, not so fast. Check the laws. There are a lot of states where you do not have to be a lawyer in order to be a judge. And there are actually a couple states where it's illegal. You're not allowed to be a judge if you were a lawyer. But nobody ever calls them on it. There are a couple states out there, and I would have to look them up. Um, I would have to call a friend of mine who has all this information. But, yeah, there are a couple states that don't allow you. And a couple, uh, I don't know a couple states, but like a couple um, territories, like uh, cities and counties, where it's actually still written in the law that you cannot be a um, you cannot be a lawyer and be a judge. Dang, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know too much about that actually, but I I was gonna say that um, the unholy trinity. I was reading Bruce L. Benson's great book, uh, The Enterprise of Law, mm -hmm. and he has a section in there talking about the Anglo-Saxons and how the Anglo-Saxon legal system was super duper libertarian. And then it's kind of transformed and, and taken by the king and uh, other other powers and transformed into a more dictatorial setup. But one thing is the rise of the legal profession. And actually, the, the rise of the attorney profession extremely complicated the law. <laughs> so oh, I know yeah. I know where the attorney hate comes from, you know, because they're just trying to, you know, in some cases, claw in their niche, you know. But now now the law is so complicated that. Unless you're a very intelligent lay person, you can't go pro se. I saw a um, I saw something the other day just talking about like weird, you know, how uh, monarchy will take over. That uh, Peter the Great of Russia 
at one point he had visited Europe and I think he had visited the Mediterranean and he saw it wasn't very popular at that time in Russia that men had beards. But he saw that men that 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 men had beards or something. I shared this the other day on Twitter and I'm trying to remember all the details of it. But he had he had seen that like it was very popular in Europe. And when he went back, he grew a beard and he passed a law that if you wanted to grow a beard, you had to buy like a token and you had to carry it with you. And if you were ever stopped and you didn't have that token with you, you had to shave on the spot. <laughs> you know, I did see that tweet. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that. And I'm like, I'm like, they've been they've been, do, you know, here's your perfect example of uh, of um, no victim, no, no victim, no crime law from. 400 years ago, you know, the 16, you know, the, the, the mid 1600s in Russia. <laughs> That's just crazy. So as as uh, Liberty Weekly has uh, progressed, how do you um, what do you from the first couple episodes? Where do you where do you see yourself at now? What do you what, like? What's your what's your goal when you um, when you go to do a video? I mean, I know that you do. You don't do like I don't see you doing many like series like, you know, a couple a couple things. But. It seems like when you do when you do one on a subject, you're you've heavily researched it. Is that that's pretty accurate, right? Yeah, yeah, and I, I really appreciate you saying that. Actually, um, I mean, I'm just I'm still a small fish. I I have a we relative, all are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> except for, except for a couple except for a couple ones out there, you know, a couple of the big podcast, uh, big libertarian podcasts. We all are. <laughs> yeah, that that's true. That's true. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's been a lot of fun because I think the best thing about being a small content creator is that you can really get, have an intimate, like, relationship with your, your audience. Because I, I've made quite a few good friends just random off of Facebook or off social media. I, I suppose when I, when I create a video, what I'm really doing, another idea I've had about what the podcast is, is that, it is my video diary in a certain sense that the show is just a diary documenting my evolution academically, I suppose, in my thought processes. I've changed my mind uh, through talking with people, and uh, I guess it's public and out there, but, you know, as much as I want to to share the ideas of liberty, um, this is also just um, cathartic for me, you know, just trying to survive and stay positive in this status environment uh, it can get hard and isolating, but through through the show, and that's this is why I think everyone should have a show. But through the show, I've been able to connect with uh, super deuce, uh, excuse me, super duper awesome people. Uh, my my buddies in the Libertarian Union, we talk every day. We talk about libertarianism. I've met um, you know eight to ten ANCAPs in the Twin Cities area, and it's just been so beneficial. I can't underscore enough that people need to get out there and have these conversations. Yeah, it's uh I've I haven't really been in a room with a bunch of libertarians and ancaps in probably like 7 or 8 years. Um it just doesn't it it doesn't happen. It's uh I mean there are libertarians here in Georgia, but we're we're spread out and we just don't we never make an effort to try to get together. I know someone started on Facebook a a Georgia, Alabama kind of group, and we had talked about getting together and doing some stuff, but it just never happened. You know, I, I also happen to think that 
you know, a lot of a lot of ANCAPs, a lot of libertarians are just very busy people. I think we we work a lot and, you know, we're trying to achieve a lot of different goals and even putting together some even if we did put together something like that, um, it would have to be something probably far in advance since uh, most of us work some insane, insane hours. Uh, I know I do. So I mean, it's nice that you um, that you have face to face people that you can deal with face to face and talk about things and really lean on because it can get. You know, I'm, I'm lucky that my wife my wife is very libertarian. She's not she's not ANCAP, but um, you know she's very libertarian. So you know we can talk about a lot of things and you know she started making her own uh, video content and done some commentaries. So. Uh, you know, we talk about we can talk about that. That's um, and then, you know, finally with the podcast and everything, I can I can talk to people and I feel a lot better about you know the things I feel you know the, the the way I feel and the things that uh, the things that I'm thinking about and trying to figure out for myself and not just read you know a book by one of the greats and accept it as gospel. But, you know, really wrestle with it. You know, I've taken some some people have tried to attack me for having the handle um, on Twitter at MN Rothbard because I don't I don't agree with everything that Rothbard said. Uh, I don't believe I don't agree with everything he taught. And especially towards the end, I don't agree with uh, agree with a ton of what he was saying in the later years. But apparently the um, apparently that's anathema for those who agree with what he was saying in the later years and it's like well how can you have that name and not to me that's just a stupid argument and another another version of like an appeal to authority argument says why why would you have that name if you don't you know if you if you don't appreciate the fact that he was talking with david duke and things like that and i'm like "Eh, i don't you know there's i'm not gonna i'm way too critical a thinker to agree with everything that you know, everything that my heroes believed. So, I mean, oh, yeah. you, I mean, look I, at you, look at you. I know, I know you, and we've talked about this before. Stefan Molyneux was one of the people who brought you to libertarianism and capitalism. How do you, you know, how do you feel about you know, the direction he's taken in the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I haven't... Um... I, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with the the borders part, you know. And and I I was a little uh, that you know it's it's controversial. I when it, the borders issue, and I've come to realize that it's Dave Smith. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but Dave Smith has kind of you know illustrated that you know yes we don't. And and you were talking with Jeff Dice, and I agree with everything that Jeff Dice said. You know his position in that episode. Yeah, that was brilliant. I mean he he made points yeah. that no one else is making. Yeah. What are you going to have immunization centers? Are you going to set up, you know, are you going to have border whole border centers of hospitals? And then some of these people are coming from areas where there is no government office. So they have no ID. So what I mean, what exactly, you know, how do you handle this? You know, you turn it in, you could turn it into a gigantic bureaucracy or I mean, I mean, well, I mean, anything government is, uh, is going to do is going to be a bureaucracy. But I mean, it can make it just 10 times. To- I mean. You know, a hundred times worse than what it is already. Mm-hmm. It can, and, it can become. I mean, literally, something like that could become the biggest piece of the government budget, bigger than you know, bigger than the military, if that was, if that would be at all possible. 
Yeah. And I mean, what my, my point has always been with the borders issue is that while we're, we need to fight the, the, we need to fight the cause of a given problem and not the effects of some policy. And I think we know what causes mass immigration. You know, it's a, it's artificial influx in the market caused by status policy. So we get rid of the status policy, which is the war on drugs, which, you know, destroys the South American countries and other countries. We need to get rid of the war on terror, which creates terrorists and masses influxes of migrant workers and you know get we know what the problems are you know get rid of the welfare magnet the the solutions don't change <laughs> yeah and and that's and you know that was a point i had made i think when i talked to dave smith on on his podcast was i think that a lot of these people who you know, consider themselves to be libertarians. And, you know, yeah, I'm not going to, I mean, we think differently on a couple things. It's not something that it seems like they're a lot more adamant about it than I am. I mean, I'm willing to talk about it. Um, but they, you know, when, when you say, well, you know, this probably isn't going to work, they seem to get very upset. But I told Dave Smith, I said, it seems to me that one of the reasons why they're very eager to go after things like this is because they think that they think that you know attacking the culture and i mean we have to we have to fight the culture war but there's better ways to do it than using the government to do it um but they uh but but i, I said i said they're the reason i think that they're looking at these things is because they believe I, I believe that they believe that they can win this war but the war against the state getting the state smaller um destroying the welfare state, destroying the war on drugs, destroying the war on terror. They don't see that as being, they see that as being impossible. So they're going to, you know, instead of the nameless, faceless state, they're going to attack the, you know, brown, the brown face that's coming over the border that they can actually see. That they, you know, that they can actually, and, you know, and one thing that they're not willing to accept is they're not willing to accept that in order to do this, they're not going to be able to do it on their own. They're going to have to use the power of the state, which is just, that's inconceivable for me. I mean, it just doesn't, and the state is violence. The state, I mean, a simple phrase like taxation is theft. I mean, if you, if you want to use the state to, to accomplish your to accomplish your goals you're gonna i mean you're pretty much gonna have to abandon that because how else is it going to be paid for yeah you know and and that kind of gets into the message of pragmatism versus uh you know principle that rothbard touches on in the beginning of four new liberty and um I, I forget, and I haven't looked into what Rothbard thought about the, the borders issue. I think he was kind of a little more closed borders. I don't like the, the dichotomy between closed and open because it's much more nuanced than that, you know. But, yeah, I mean, it really is, you know, pragmatism versus principle. You know, is it wrong for the government to institute violence against peaceful people? Yes, always. It doesn't matter, you know, if, oh, we just need to have a little – a little pragmatism, so because of this one issue, you know, this one bugaboo. But I think uh, to end, like, on a positive note, that that little part, um, my face-to-face -face interactions with all of the ANCAPs and Libertarians that I've met, whether within the Libertarian Union Facebook group or in person in the cities here, have all been respectable, Rothbardian, thin Libertarians. And that's how I would describe myself. You know, I've used the term centrist 
I suppose. I don't like the term centrist because I'm culturally right. However, everyone that I've met has been good, even on the from the left persuasion or from the right, you know, how people come to the ideas of liberty. They have mm-hmm. all been respectable, thin libertarians. And uh, I think that's the majority of, you know, Misesian, Rothbardian libertarians. We're just here. And I think the ones who are on the outskirts are more vocal. But I think the majority of us are in the middle. You know, we're thin libertarians. Right. So let me ask you a question, and I want to put you on the spot. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, oh, this is definitely going to be an uh-oh. Why do you think I'm a left libertarian? Oh, was this because of the Thanksgiving episode? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the police issue because because well, because you've kind of uh you were saying that you were more right because your your father was right, you're from a right you you know most of your friends are police officers former. Mhm. Yeah. yeah, most of my I, friends in New York, yeah, yeah. I I don't, you know, and and this is what I get for opening my mouth. It's <laughs> You know everything you say is going to come back. Yeah, exactly. it, it can. Well, it is not going to, but it can. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I I was going to say that it's because of I I just got this vibe from you that you you cared about the plight of people. You know, I think that people who are more left oriented are more empathetic towards people, and not to say they're less logical, but they just they care about people, and what they highlight is what the state does to people in in the bad sense. You know. Mm-hmm. And Jerry, my my old partner, um, he was talking about my old uh, co-host, actually. He was talking about how if you want to convince right minded people, you argue the economics of it and how efficient and how much better it will be and the prosperity. But from the left side, you really want to target how the state is beating people down and target those human stories. And I just saw a lot more of the human story element from you. Well, would that be like philosophy versus economics? Could be, yeah. yeah. But uh, then again, you know, I, that's just me pontificating. <laughs> well, I mean, I also, I'm I'm very pro-drug. And not pro, I'm not pro-drug, but I mean, I have no problem with drugs being, with every drug being legal. I have no problem with that whatsoever. And also, I, um, I'm trying to figure out, yeah, I'm, as far as you know, people's sexual proclivities, I have no, I don't care. You know, I, I don't care. You know, when I hear thing, when I hear phrases like, um, you know, libertarians using phrases like degenerates and stuff like that, it just it makes me insane because it's just yeah. not, it's none of my business. And there's no, you know, what? It, I mean, I guess they want to they want to look in the statist environment and see which direction those people would go. But to me, those people can just go in the direction of their own, you know, their selves. I mean, they can do, I mean, you know, if you end up, if, if I find myself, if I, if I end up in a stateless society, I mean, I, I talked with this, I talked to Michael Bolden about this the other day, and he, he talks about um, libertarian dictatorship. And what he, what he describes is that there are a lot of libertarians who, want to force people to live, you know, who would be like, we need to force people to live in a libertarian society. You know, we get our libertarian society, they have to, you know, they they have to follow us. It's like, well, no, you know, and it's one of the things I guess that he talks about. And, you know, it's one of the things that even friggin' Hoppe talked about in 1997. Um, I think it's, the speech was called What Must Be Done. And he said that, you know, what what we want to look for is like a thousand city-states. 
and you can go and you can be in the one. I mean, and very much like it is now. I mean, if you're ultra liberal, you know, progressive, psychotic, and you don't want to be around people who, if you want, and if you want to be around people, you know, and I call them psychotic because I mean, I just don't understand. To me, they seem insane, just the way they act and the way they act towards people who they don't agree with. Um, if they want to be around people that, that they, um, like them, they can go to Austin or San Francisco, you know, certain, certain parts of the city in New York. And, but, you know, I, I don't, um, the whole, de, you know, the whole saying people are degenerate stuff like that is, well, yeah, you have to, you know, we have to look at the fact that if, you know, if the state were dissolved tomorrow, there are going to be people that are going to going to want a state, and we'll just have you know, there'll have to be some kind of divisions. There'll have to be some. You go over here, I'll go over here. If you need help, ask. You know, do whatever you want over there as long as you don't infringe upon me. Everything will be, you know, everything will be fine. But um, you know, I just don't. The way, the way I understood right versus left libertarians are. Um, or thick versus thin is thick. I always understood. Uh, I always understood as um, they required a whole. You know, you had to believe this. If you didn't, if you didn't believe this, you weren't a libertarian. If you didn't believe that, you weren't a libertarian. If you weren't so, you know, I mean, there's libertarian social justice warriors now, and I consider them to be over on the thick side. But on the thin side, I would say. Um, you know, I would say is you basically believe in the non-aggression principle and, uh, you know, that's it. So, you know, and also I believe thick libertarianism now, uh, not only are there like, you, you, it used to be that it was a bunch of, you know, like, you know, oh, you had to fight for women's rights. You had to do this, you know, all that. And you could, you know, you could still call yourself a libertarian, but over on that side, now I include the ones who you have to have a border wall, you have to have this, you have to, if you don't have all this other stuff besides the, the, um, the non-aggression principle, I think you're on that side too. And, you know, because you're requiring more than the non-aggression principle, more than the golden rule in order to be a good libertarian. So, I see, you know, I see the division much differently. I see the very, the very thin libertarians being the non-aggression principle, and the ones over on the other side are, you know, you have this quote, these rent is theft libertarians now, and the border, the strong border, whatever, you know, all degenerates need to be removed. We need to buy helicopters. Libertarians are, to me, they're on the same side. They're on the same side with the other ones. Oh yeah, I I would agree with that 100%. And what yeah, the, I mean the way that I frame it is if you bootstrap things onto the non-aggression principle and the absolutism of property rights and a trend towards the individual, if there's anything else than that that you think is core libertarianism, then you're a thick libertarian. And I I I would put the left and the right, you know, on both sides, left and right thick libertarians, but yeah, when it when it comes to the these undesirables or talking of degenerates or anything, I I am so anti eugenics. Yeah. And maybe maybe this is the the James Corbett in me because I'm a big fan of his work as well, and he's been a big influence. But I've been studying. I just got a book 
called Illiberal Reformers, and there's the Rothbard book, The Progressive Era, and uh, eugenics is evil, and I don't think it's gone. And I think I see a lot of a lot of people playing into this eugenic idea that oh well this other party is unfit. Well, I can I can tell you for a fact that you know people these uh these borderitarians they're not within the group that the eugenicists the real eugenicists want to preserve. Oh. I can tell that right now. Wow, well, yeah, that's uh, uh I don't even know how to respond to that. It's <laughs> I hadn't really thought. I mean. Yeah, I had thought about it as um, as being a form of eugenics uh, previously, but um, yeah, I mean, really, I mean, there's so much talk now about race and IQ and you know, time preference, things like that. I mean, it's just it's mind it's mind boggling to me that um, that all that has to come up. Um, that people are, you know, one of the things. I mean, wow. I'll go to something even less than that because um, that's real serious stuff. Um, the whole another thing you were talking about as far as being a thin libertarian with uh, non-aggression principle and property is private property, and they try to the borderitarians try to make it out that if you don't believe in a border, you don't believe in private property. Which is kind, which is, I've, every time someone tries to bring that up and I start asking questions and they call me a commie. Because that's their, that's their go-to. Anybody who doesn't, anybody who doesn't believe in borders, doesn't believe in private property. If you don't believe in private property, you're a commie. So they have this, you know, they have this flow chart. They have this flow chart for internet, um, for, for internet arguing. You know, everybody, everybody who doesn't agree with me on the internet is a commie. And it just doesn't make any sense to me that you're protecting your private property because you're because you, you want how is how is a national border in a state of society protecting private property most of those borders most of that borderland is publicly owned then when you point that out they say well yeah the net taxpayer owns that because we paid for that yeah right well no most of that stuff was paid. Most of that stuff was paid for before your grandparents was born. Were born. So how are you? You know, if anything, your tax money is going toward your your tax money is going to Lockheed and you know you know Grumman and Raytheon. So maybe you should be claiming you know maybe you should be claiming ownership of some of those bombs that they're dropping on brown you know on poor brown countries. You know because. Uh, that makes it the whole net taxpayer argument. And I know it came from Rothbard, another thing, you know, late in the game that I don't agree with. I don't agree with. Um, but the, the whole argument that public property is somehow being held, I've heard held in escrow, you know, and I always make the argument. I'm like, I'm like, look, I got a ton of sky miles. I will, it's sky miles are transferable. I will transfer my sky miles to you so that you can fly and go claim your property. So are you willing to do that? And when I say that, I've only ever had one person come back and say, okay, I see your point. Whenever, anytime, other time I've said that, oh, you're a commie. So, you know, just try to help people realize that their arguments, you know, there may be some holes in their arguments and you get called a commie. So, <laughs> well, I in that instance when with the net taxpayer argument I would just go back to like property 101 
You know, uh, I'm talking about like uh, tangible, like physical real estate property that you learn in law school. You know, how how does the state acquire the land in the first place? And it's either through conquest or or purchasing, I guess, with the Louisiana purchase. But then, you know, we were purchasing the land from another state. You know, states can't own shit. Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah, so it's illegitimate, and uh, whether that makes the public property the commons or if it's, you know, I, I don't know. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the border argument thing is just, yeah. But, I mean, I agree with Jeff Deist, and I when it comes to the immigration problem, I always cite there's a Ron Paul Liberty Report video where he basically says, you know, we know what the problem is. We know what's causing immigration. We know what it is. It's the welfare magnet. It's the wars. It's the drug war. So why change anything else? And, and I stick with Ron Paul. And I have a tendency to believe because, you know, I live in an area. I don't know. Um, Europe, Europe in the Twin Cities. Is there um, is there a huge, uh, well, just for sake, um, Central American popula- uh, population there, Mexico, El Salvador? Um, uh, well, you you get the Latino more more so in the rural areas because they're looking for work, uh, like in, on farms and stuff. But in the cities here, the biggest thing is the Somalian population, because okay. we have the biggest Somalian um, refugee. I don't know exactly what it is, but they were importing them through federal programs. I don't know if they were state or federal. And uh, there's there's a bit of contention here in the cities. <laughs> yeah, well, well, maybe 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 the United States shouldn't have been bombing the shit out of that place for the last 25 years. Yeah, and that, yeah. that might that might help. Yeah. The, so uh, what I was saying is that it's an it's an influx in the market. It's in unnatural. It's from yeah. the, the state. Right. But <laughs> so, but yeah. things like like in you know where I am, there is a huge Mexican population. I mean, a huge Mexican population, and all I see them doing is working, and I see them working hard, and I deal with a bunch, I, I deal with a lot of them in my business, and they're pulling out bank, you know, they're, they're, they're not all paying cash. There's a couple, but they're pulling out bank cards, okay? They're not, you know, the, the I think there's a big myth that you know, most of the Mexicans in this country are legal and they're dealing in cash and they're sending all their cash home. And, you know, it's like, OK, maybe you know, some of them are doing that, but they're here working. And I don't know. Do you know any numbers that they're saying on? I mean, not only um, Latin American immigrants, but illegal immigrants, illegal immigrants altogether. What are some numbers that they throw out there? Twelve, fifteen? Yeah, I'm not sure, actually. Yeah. <laughs> there are 92 million native-born, well, let's see, no, now it would be closer to 100 million. There are 100 million native-born, quote-unquote, citizens, maybe not all net taxpayers to, so you know, or at least not, not um, acceptable, you know, they're not paying acceptable taxes for the net taxpayer crowd, but there are 100 million native-born people accepting handouts and entitlements from the government. Where do you think the bigger problem is? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, <laughs> I mean you're, you're, you're making, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's like you have this huge rat infestation problem in your building, and all of a sudden you see a line of ants, you know, in one kitchen, 
and you're just making you know and, and now all of a sudden you make the ants the problem <laughs> you know I mean, it's 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 remo- it's remarkable and it's it it really is i think it's just politicians talking heads making a big deal out of this and make and and people still being not you know people still not being smart enough to understand when they're being manipulated yeah well and i i think the um the the best thing about being a libertarian is that you don't have to twist yourself in logical pretzel knots to try and explain away something you know where where maybe someone who is pro borders i guess i would say for lack of a better term maybe they would see someone be deported maybe a school teacher who is just teaching class or or i don't know you know any any individual who is being deported if they can stand there and see someone not violating the the non-aggression principle not bothering anyone if they can approve of them being taken away against their will by the state how how are they going to pretzel their way out of that with logic you know that's the whole beauty of being a libertarian is that we don't have to make excuses you know we have the non-aggression principle it works <laughs> well you know what you know what some quote unquote libertarians will say right well that, that this person may have been in the country employed they could have been a doctor and they've been here for 30 years well, they've been illegal because they didn't fill out the right kind of paperwork. They, if they've been here for 30 years, how come they didn't fill out the paperwork? A libertarian appealing to state law. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are you, yeah. I, I mean, anybody oh. who, if I'm, if I'm in a conversation with anybody with the most hardcore status and they start bringing up illegal and everything, I mean, unless, you know, there's a damaged party, you know, murder, you know, you know, some harm to somebody's person or property and just I'm dismiss I'm dismissing this because, you know, it's just not. Yeah. Point point to the individual that they've harmed point to the yeah. harmed party specifically. And, and let's talk about damages, you know, in in the court system, at least in the legal sphere, damages have to be specific. You know, you have to illustrate damages and they can't do that. You know, you can't point to one party and say, OK, this illegal immigrant has has caused the Jones family, you know, three dollars worth of harm. <laughs> yeah, there's a um, there's a legal term that I hear in court all the time that I'm trying to look up right now. It's like failure to produce. Is it failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted? Yep. Yeah, that's a 12b6 motion. That <laughs> that's the only thing that I learned in. <laughs> In my civil procedure class, <laughs> yeah. I mean that's one that that's one that um that's used a lot. Oh yeah, I, I, that's that's probably why you know it. Yeah, because because that's that's used a lot, and um yeah, I mean and and the great thing about that is you can turn you can turn around and use that against the state. How can the state how how can how can a how can a fiction make a claim? Yeah, you know, and how can relief and, and how can you how can you grant relief to the state when they claim ownership of everything? Honestly, they claim ownership of everything. I mean, if you own something, you wouldn't be taxed for it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I had a conversation with someone about this the other day on Facebook. They were asking, you know, if you if you had a well-reasoned attorney who really knew everything in and out, and he went into a courtroom making the arguments that we make, you know, about the individual and about, you know, delegating rights that you don't have, mm-hmm. 
what would could 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 that attorney you know talk a court out of it and i said no they I, absolutely they can't because the courts are very very aware of what their role is in society and what where their power comes from where what gives them authority to make these judgments well they talk about the founding documents you know we everything rests upon this theory of sovereignty and the court system is so it's like uh, if you if you tried to make the arguments that we make, it'd be like trying to install a Linux application on a on a Windows or on a Mac or right. something. They just it just does not compute because they have the authority and they they feel it's just. They have the authority delegated through popular sovereignty through majoritarianism, and uh, they know what their role is in terms of the legislature, and you just can't make those arguments. Okay, that that uh. That's great because that'll lead me into um, next question that I didn't have planned. It just came. It came to me. So you're in your last semester of law school, correct? Yep. I mean, knowing that you can't take that argument into a courtroom, what I mean, we've talked. You and I have talked previously about you know like things that you've off air about things that you've you know you'd like to do with your law degree, but if you if you ended up in a court somewhere. I mean, how would you, what what could you hope to accomplish? Well, uh, you got to play by the rules, man. And I think what I'm what I'm planning on doing, I'd love to work at like the Libertas Institute in Utah or the Mises Institute or that that'd be my dream job. And uh, I'm hoping that this podcast is a vehicle to maybe get there someday. But um, what I'm planning on doing is being, I want to be a criminal defense attorney. I also want to do uh, towards, uh, you know, civil law, maybe personal injury, but in that, but that's the big bugaboo, you know, and in being someone of my mind or of of our persuasion, I really do struggle with this idea of going into that sphere and and seeing the individuals working in the court system and knowing, especially uh, because I know the back home, I know. Um, I know everyone within the the court system and the police and stuff like that, and it's hard because they're good people. You know, they're good people at heart, but objectively, you see them violating the non-aggression principle. And this is actually something I want to ask Jeff Deist about, which is, you know, how how do you observe the power of the court while still maintaining, you know, some kind of morality uh, through our justifications and our our belief and you know our reasoning system, the the non-aggression principle. And so I'm, that's still something I'm struggling with. But my main goal is to try and because the state monopolizes the court system, you got to work within it. And uh, try. what I want to do is try to defend people against the state, against state power, essentially. Mm. Well, I know that uh, Jeff, when I, you know, he was a tax attorney. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's for any libertarian that being a tax attorney would be. If you're going to be an attorney and you're a libertarian, uh, I think almost the only one, the, the only, if I was going to be, if I was going to go get my law degree right now, I would be a tax attorney because <laughs> I mean, what better, what, what more noble profession than helping people cheat and starve the government? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, not, you know, not cheat, but <laughs> use every single loophole that you can possibly find to get to somebody to keep 100 percent of their labor, yeah, you know, I mean, that to me is uh, 
that to me would be a noble, uh, noble profession in, in law, <laughs> in law. Cause, um, and there, everybody's just getting, everybody's getting robbed. Well, let me, let me say that I chose this path before I was a full fledged Rothbardian and I had committed to it before I, I realized, you know, the, the, the true state of the world is that we're all slaves. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm glad you didn't, I'm, I'm glad you didn't get so principled that you, I'm glad that your principles didn't cause you to quit. Yeah. Because that, uh, that, that would be, that would be tragic. I mean, there are, there are a lot of noble things. I mean, I have a, um, somebody that I deal with in my business a couple times a year and he's been a corporate tax attorney for years. I mean, probably he's probably 70 now. And, um, yeah, his whole, and I've talked to him about it. You know, I've told him I'm a libertarian, I'm an Austrian and he, he knew what Austrian economics was. And he, and I, I said, man, I said, you know, what you're, you know, what you've done your whole life, I admire and I hate lawyers. And he said, um, and, 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 and he said, yeah, man, just trying to get people to keep more of their money, keep, get businesses to keep more of their money so that they can, um, you know, so that they can operate and they can, uh, you know, try to, you know, even he under he he understands that corporate you know corporations can get a lot of breaks and that they can get a lot of uh, advantage just by being corporations, but he said still you know there's people there. He goes there's people there and if I can save the company money, you know that flows that flows down to the people that work there. I know any any and you know any communist that may stumble upon this uh, this podcast, I just caused you to be triggered and you're running for your safe space right now. But yeah, I um, yeah. corporations do save money and then pass it down to the pe the people that actually work there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I was gonna say that everyone hates an attorney until they need one. Yeah. that's my that's my response. <laughs> well, actually, I'm at the point now where if um if I had to go into court for something, I would I would represent myself. Yeah, I've I, I've I know enough now that I would I'd be comfortable. I'd be comfortable with that. And yeah. um, I wouldn't trust somebody else because I know that they're an off, you know, even a public defender, um, a public defender, or even a, a lawyer that you can, if you have millions of dollars and you, you hire an attorney, it doesn't change the fact that they're still an officer of the court. And it says in their document, in, in their documentation, I forget which, uh, which inside, which, like law uh it's a it's a book that just it, it's like a thing that comes out every year that gets updated and it, it goes amongst attorneys but they it, it teaches them that you know their first priority even as a defendant uh, even as a uh you know, even if they're representing the defendant their first their first priority is to the court and i i've actually said i've actually told people that the term public defender doesn't mean that you're part of the public and that they're defending you. It may mean that they're defending the public from you. <laughs> maybe, maybe the court is assuming that you're a psychopath and you're a lunatic and that this person is there to protect the public from you, to defend the public from you. I just do not trust attorneys. I know that they're first, I know, I know that they're first, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're officers of the court and that's their, um, that's, that, that's where their, um, loyalties lie. And that's, it says well, it in their, it says it in their documentation. If I could, um, 
a little bit about my experience in law school in general is like I, I went to a private school and I won't get too specific on that, but the it's so statist, man. We there's no discussion. There is no discussion of where law comes from except for one or two weeks in property I, and maybe maybe a smattering, um, you know, throughout that you come across individually. But there's no discussion of, of where law comes from. We we spent one class period on natural rights versus uh, legal. Um, uh, I, I'm blanking on the term, but, you, you know, uh, the, the I know exactly what you're saying. Come from the state. Yeah. And um, legal positivism and 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 just just that kind of stuff. So there, there's no talk of that. We spent maybe a week or two talking about constitutional interpretations and what was presented was rather rather uh, accurate. I guess I would say is that there was a battle between virtue on the federalist side and Lockean natural rights on the other side. But it's not presented in that kind of sphere and you don't get into, you know, they came to amend. I, I heard you talking earlier on a podcast. They came to amend the articles of, um, no, that was on our podcast. They came to amend mm -hmm. articles of confederation. And uh, I think the constitution was a silent coup. And to get into that, I've, I've written a paper about it. I think it's one of the eBooks you get through subscribing to my email list, but oh, cool. It's 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 not good, man. It the the whole system is just so statist, and you get you hear people talking about the um, paternalism of the state and the rightful role of the state in you know helping and encouraging people and shaping policy, and it's not good. It's not. Yeah, yeah. It's um. Yeah. I, when I about ten nine ten years ago, I really started looking at the legal system and. It just it opened my eyes to see. Um, yeah, I had read some, you know, because there's there once a uh, case is done, they're pretty much all put on the net. And you can read, um, you know, and I, I taught myself how to read and understand them um, mostly through having um, Bouvier's eighteen fifty six law dictionary. That was having that online is immensely helpful because people people have this idea that they read a legal document. And that words that they think, they, uh, words that they think they know, they mean that in in law, but the word can mean something completely different, like public, um, which you know has no, um, is not the same thing. Or person, I mean, person means something can mean something completely different in uh -huh. in law. And yeah, I just I, I came to the conclusion that the the best way to deal with the legal system is to completely avoid it. I mean, to do oh. it, do anything you can, you know, that's, and it's one of the reasons why, um, I've, I've stayed away from jury duty. I got, I got called for jury duty a couple of years ago and I have no idea why, because it's been forever since I voted and I stayed away from it. But with, through my studies of jury nullification, I think I might actually, if I got called for jury duty, I might actually show up because, um, just to walk in there with a jury nullification, you know, ask me about jury nullification T-shirt, yeah, and, right, uh, and, and and see what happens. <laughs> the uh, yeah, that's a good point though about the the legal system. Even though you you kind of concluded that you should avoid it, but it's accessible. You know, it it's not a different language. These court opinions are in English, mm -hmm. and you can read them. And I think everyone should read them. But 
it's a skill. It's like a muscle. You know, you, you just picking up a court opinion. I remember my first week in law school. Terrifying, man. First year of law school is one of the scariest things you can ever do to yourself. But, you know, just trying to construct that part of your brain and then trying to exercise it and develop it. Just read a read an opinion. Read Warren v. District of Columbia. Yeah, that's that's, that's a good place to start. Um, there's a lot of fact patterns in there that will piss you off, and there's some pretty bold statements about the law, but there's so many good principles in that case. Just the idea of, I think at the end, there there was a, a part about the the duty to help someone. Like in our, our modern Western system, we don't impose a duty on someone just to, if you're walking down the street and see a child drowning, you don't have a duty to help them. Well, the problem is, is that the they... They impose that on police, too. Even though police have monopolized protection, they treat them as any other citizen when it comes to having a duty to assist people. Except you can't. Except there is none. Except the, the, I'm sorry to interrupt, but they said yeah. that um, the problem with police is they cannot be they can't be sued because, you know, like because what we're saying is um, because of Warren versus District of Columbia, but also. And we said it on a previous podcast. You said if they could be sued, it'd be it'd be ridiculous. I mean, it would be one lawsuit. The, the courts would be um, the co- the courts would be overrun. But I mean, I can see I can see that they would um, that they would still try to do that to a private. Um, I mean, to a quote unquote citizen. If a, well, if, it, a, if a citizen shark, uh, you know, shark. I mean, especially if you get some uh, some overzealous prosecutor. Well, if it comes down to a fundamental uh, font of Western tort law, is that the, w- what I'm saying is the that if you are walking down the street as a private citizen and you see a kid drowning and you just walk on by, there's no legal obligation for you to help. Now, with the police, they treat them the same way, even though they've undertaken. So, so if you're a private citizen walking by and you see the kid drowning and you stop and try to stop him from drowning, but you don't do a good job and the kid drowns anyways and you were negligent, they'll hold you for that. But it, it, it's a double standard for the police because the police are more than just a private citizen. They've undertaken the duty of protecting the public. And if a policeman is walking down the street and sees a child drowning and does nothing, then they won't hold him accountable, even though he in our society is the one that we've designated to protect everyone. Even if you couldn't hold them accountable, uh, accountable criminally, you should be able to hold hold them accountable civilly. I I would argue in that instance, no, that you Why? shouldn't. Just because um, in our in our Western legal system, we that would be despotic to to just you have to undertake a duty in order to be liable for something. And if even if it is a policeman, but say in a private security setting, if, right. If the Jones family has their child drowning in the front yard, but they have hired previously a private security company to protect them, and just through serendipity at that moment, if the private security officer is walking down the sidewalk and sees the child drowning, he would have a duty then because Jones family has a contract with him to protect them. Does that make sense? Yeah, and the private security company would have insurance against that too. Yeah. Whereas in in but the yeah the problem with the police is that you know they've undertaken this massive duty to protect everyone, 
from our side of, you know, from our point of view. But if, if yeah, like I was saying, if the police officer, because Warren v. District of Columbia, uh, I did a video on this, and I forgot what, I think it's episode 47, but the just the impetus, what they were delineating in the case law is that we are not going to hold policemen liable for inaction when they could have acted, but we will hold them liable for action when they act and do it badly. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I, I wanted to go back. Um, we were, you were talking about how, you know, the, these court cases are in English. Yeah. And they're easy. A court case that I think would benefit anyone who, you know, is a constitutionalist or, you know, is, you know, knows the Constitution is from, it's from 1936. It's called Ashwander versus Tennessee Valley Authority. Oh, I haven't heard that one. Oh. <laughs> okay, read the case, but right. more importantly, read the opinions. Read Brandeis's opinion. Basically, in that you will find out how now how claiming constitutional rights in a court of law disappeared completely. I mean, just completely disappeared. It's it, it's remarkable, and I would even argue that his. In his um, in his opinion on it, he basically argues that everyone in the United States is a government employee, <laughs> and that he says clearly in there that government employees do not have constitutional protections. And the way I would argue that is that he said um, he says that anyone who is accepting a retirement benefit from the government. Is a government employee is is um, exempt from constitutional protections. Social Security is a government is is a, is a, a government retirement program. So essentially, we're all. <laughs> yeah, and and that, these are arguments that have been made by um, a, probably the worst phrase that they've been called is sovereign citizens, but people who've been studying you know studying exactly why why they can get away with what they do. Um, and Ashwander is one of them. Um, and basically there were a whole bunch of, there were a bunch of um, court cases and Supreme court decisions between 1933, of course. Yeah. And, and 1938, that if you go and you read the opinions, you just see where they're just, they absolutely just basically take turn what, before before the before the civil war you you could you could argue that most most people in america were free and then after you know well except the slaves of course uh, that most people in america were free to do what they want they weren't they weren't there were there weren't any terrible impositions um on them after the civil war after reconstruction you start seeing things 1913 of course federal reserve you know there's no you know there's no um it's not a coincidence that, you know, three years after the Federal Reserve is put in place, we get, we, you know, we get the the, man, the quote unquote mandatory income tax, and then we mm -hmm. go, and then a year later we go into a war, and it just seems to me that um, from from a bunch of the cases that I've read, and there's a book out there that's called USA versus US, and it talks about how there's a difference between the United States of America and the United States. And the United States is more of a legal that when all of these, um, when the U.S. code 
came into existence, basically the U.S. Code, I mean, there's laws in there. There are laws in the U.S. Code that completely destroy everything in the Constitution, where they can trample over all constitutional rights. But Ashwander v. Tennessee Valley Authority is, there's a term, you might want to look it up. It's called, you're being Ashwandered. And basically, read this, read the court case, man. You read this court case, and I'll just, just to give you a summary of what the holding was on the case. Congress did not abuse its power with the Tennessee Valley Authority, a government corporation established as part of the New Deal to improve the economy of the state. So the, yeah, I mean, it's remarkable. Basically, there was a challenge of the Constitution of the Congressional Program of Development of the Wilson Dam. The plaintiffs, preferred stockholders of the Alabama Power Company, had unsuccessfully protested to the corporation that its contracts with the Tennessee Valley Authority. Plaintiffs then brought suit against the corporation, the Tennessee Valley Authority, and others alleging breach of contract and advancing a broad constitutional challenge to the governmental program. So basically, with the advent of the New Deal and all these government programs being instituted, some people decided that they wanted to challenge them. And they got shot down hard. Oh, yeah. And Ashwander is one of the keys. So especially, like I said, I mean, just read an overview of it and go read the opinions on it. Brandeis' opinion on it. You're just like, oh, well, that explains everything. There you can see how the courts have this abusive power. And I don't even know if courts will allow decisions anymore from before 1933. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I'm just trying to, because I had constitutional law last year. And there is a lot of cognitive dissonance that goes along in, because some of the most revered Supreme Court justices are some of the most eugenicist motherfuckers out there. Like Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. and Buck Bell. And they recognize how terrible these decisions were. But yet at the same time, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. is such a great Supreme Court justice. Isn't he the one who said that taxation is a price to pay for a civilized society? It could have been him. But the quote I'm thinking of is, three generations of imbeciles is enough. Let's sterilize. So, I mean, they'll go through that. And the Buck v. Bell is one of the most infamous Supreme Court decisions. 1940? Buck v. Bell is 1927. Okay. I was thinking of the Buck Act of 1940, which a lot of people point to that just being a complete destruction of the Tenth Amendment, where now the federal overreach is just, I mean, just, I mean, they, where the, you know, where laws, laws that were written in Washington, D.C. prior to, I think prior to 1933, were supposed to only apply to people within the District of Columbia. And then they, the Buck Act of 1940 pushed it out and pushed it, actually pushed it, I've read things where it said it pushed it into the sea, where it went, where it would go, it actually went beyond land. So, 
Yeah. So, well, I mean, think about it. I mean, when was when did the concept of international waters come into, you know, come come into, um, you know, look that up and see. Well, I'm thinking of maritime law because uh, kind of the unsung history of the constitutional jurisprudence and the development of constitutional law is maritime decisions, the maritime courts, because... You're talking about, like, admiralty? Yeah, admiralty law, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. yeah, and and that's a whole nother basket. Because uh, I took this awesome class called the history of... or American legal history, and a lot of it was focused on the British Constitution, or hmm. the... Yeah. Wow. But uh, that's yeah, another rabbit hole. Maybe yeah, we should... Way, yeah, we're, we're <laughs> way off here now. Um, Alright, well, it's... uh. We've been going over an hour, or so let's go back to let's go back to Liberty Weekly. Um, yeah. What do you see? I mean, what what do you what are your plans? I mean, you you know, I I'll admit my first couple episodes, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I literally wrote every word down that I was going to say. Oh yeah. That's how. I mean, that's how I got. That's how I started out. That's how. Um, that's how nervous I was. I knew I was going to be doing it, even talking to a microphone by myself. So um, where do you where, where do you see it going? Well, I still have nerves every time, and uh, that's been what I really want to do is connect with bigger names. Um, and obviously, you're you're one of the biggest names that I've talked to and that I have a relationship with. But uh, I'm working on that. Uh, I've to to kind of commiserate with you about um, you know just starting out and not knowing what you're doing. I've tried everything. I've tried outlines. I've tried just winging it. <laughs> I had the discussion episodes with uh, my old co-host Jerry. He's still the co-host, but doesn't appear often. But uh, I, I've done the the complete script. I've done you know the audio clips and everything. And I, I just want to keep going. I just want to persist and keep putting out regular content. Connect with those big names. What I'd like to do is do more documentary stuff like I was I experimented with over break. Uh, but I'm just uh, I'm looking forward to developing as a person and as a libertarian. And like I said, connecting with those big names. Yeah, I um, I'll just give you a piece of advice. Um, a couple of the best podcasts I've done are I think this one's going to go down as, as a good one um, oh, yeah. was. Rollo McFlugel and and um, esoteric entity. These are these are people who are just like us are putting content out there. You know, Esso makes you know great YouTube videos where he just yeah. um, destroys social. You know, just destroys socialism. I mean, just day after day. I mean, just, and if you watch him on Twitter, I mean, he's just he's killing it. And you know, Rollo is. I had him on and we were talking about, um, you know, we talked about insurance, you know, in, in Ancapistan, how, you know, what, ins- what, how, in- how important insurance would be. And, um, you know, he's an engineer, he's an engineer. So he's a really smart guy. So yeah. try to, um, you know, those content creators out there, man, they're, um, they're some of the most fun to talk to because they, they have a lot of, they have a lot of ideas and, um, I know that, um, I mean, if you look at, I, I can look at the numbers of downloads and everything. And I mean, the, the downloads on those podcasts are up there with, um, some of my most watched. I mean, yeah. They, yeah. People, I mean, I think people want to hear, I think people want to hear, um, especially libertarians. I think libertarians are 
honestly looking for all sorts of con you know looking for all sorts of ideas and um you know, i look forward to i look forward to just talking to the content create you know more content creators and you know having big you know having 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 guys whose names we know and everything is uh is a lot of fun but you know some of these guys are doing some of these guys are a lot smarter than us and, yeah uh, you know and you know when i when i talk to S, when i talk to so it's like his understanding of economics because you know i come more from the philosophy side of it as you you know as you said um his understanding of economics is way beyond mine i mean it's um it's just beautiful watching him uh tear some people apart sometimes so. yeah i loved his video on um sticks hex and hammer 666 did a video about open borders and how it's not libertarian and Sticks Hammer has no idea what libertarianism is. <laughs> just, <laughs> and um, I mean, not from our perspective. I doubt he's ever picked up Rothbard or Hoppe or anything like that. But yeah, esoteric entity, he, he sounds like a very articulate, intelligent individual. And I've been meaning to connect with him. I know my boys at Actual Anarchy had him on and uh, Rollo McFlugo as well. Just uh, very articulate, intelligent people. Yeah. So, yep. Um, well, then let's you know, let's wrap it up. Um Talk about. Um, I, I know you mentioned that you have you have eBooks and everything. So talk about how people can get that and uh, and you know subscribe to the podcast and all. Yeah, definitely. I would direct everyone just towards libertyweekly.net. Uh, that's where there's links to everything. There's uh, iTunes links, Stitcher, I think Google Play Music as well. Uh, you can find my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash libertyweekly. I've been meaning to – I'm on BitChute and all these alt platforms like Mine, Steemit, Gab, uh, PewTube, BitChute, all those. And uh, I, would, I would direct you all towards there as well. There's links for my e-books e um, on my webpage so you can get that as well. Uh, that's the email list sign up. And so I, I'm also – I was published in the Front Range Voluntarist uh, one of my essays about domestic violence policy that I wrote for law school, I would direct everyone towards that. Um, I think he's going to be printing more of my essays, actually, as well. So pretty excited about that. But uh, I really appreciate you having me on, man. It's been a lot of fun. Cool, man. We'll do this again real soon. So um, take care and uh, study hard. Will do. <laughs> All right, man. Take care now. Bye. Bye. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. I want to remind you about my book, Freedom Through Memedom, The 31 Day Guide to Waking Up to Liberty. Check it out on Amazon. I want to thank Patrick for being on today. Well, I will see you later this week. I'm trying to line up an interview, and it will be a good one. So if I don't get that interview, I will be back to rant about a current subject or something that's just nagging me. So thank you very much. Take care. Have a good week. Bye.